Welcome back to the Charlotte Angel Connection, the Charlotte area podcast linking entrepreneurs, investors, and the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. Today, we're fortunate to have Will McGuire and Anya Johnson join us on the podcast. Will's been with us before. He was on talking a little over a year and a half, maybe two years ago, talking about Crowdfund NC. Uh, since that point in time, Will has joined up as well with part uh, as a partner with Unboxed Venture Studio. Uh, today, what we really wanted to focus on was more the crowdfunding space, crowdfunding C, and what they've been up to, how that market has developed over the course of the last couple years, where it sits now, what's going on with it going forward. What are some other initiatives they're taking to try to educate people on what crowdfunding is, more importantly, what it is not, and how they are you know, now truly starting to help entrepreneurships across North Carolina raise capital? So neat little conversation to interview. I'm still of the opinion that you know, investing in these types of entities and startups and funds that invest in startups and um, and other ways of investing in the community are going to become more accessible across the country. And folks are interested in investing locally. Will, Will and Anya certainly agree with me on that philosophy or else they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. So checking in with them from time to time and seeing how that is developing, what software is there to support it, what legislation is coming down the pipe, what um, entrepreneurs like Will and Anya are doing to make it easier, et cetera, um, is something we're going to continue to touch base with on this podcast just so you can stay up to speed on what different avenues are out there for you to invest in. So hopefully you enjoy this podcast with Will and Anya and look forward to having you join us again next week on another edition of the Charlotte Angel Connection. All right, Will and Anya, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Really excited for the next 50 minutes or so of our discussion. Oh, we're so glad to be here. Thank you so much for inviting us, William. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for having us. So, uh, so we were talking a little bit before the before we start the the recording aspect of the show, and uh, really just wanted to kind of jump in and find out what y'all are up to, what's going on in Raleigh, North Carolina these these days. Yeah, absolutely. Raleigh's just been booming, and North Carolina is a state overall for crowdfunding. In a time where the community is coming together to support each other and shop local, support small businesses. It's really awesome that we now have this opportunity to take that to the next level and invest local. In North Carolina, uh, crowdfunding has just been exploding ever since the beginning of COVID. And there were some stats that were released where uh, venture capitalist activity really plummets during economic recessions. Mm -hmm. And in the crowdfunding world, we've seen the exact opposite happen. There are more offerings and more investors and just more opportunities than we've seen in a while. In fact, the regulation crowdfunding um, provision has actually doubled since the beginning of 2020, which is really awesome to see this growth and the support that these entrepreneurs raising capital are receiving. All right, so let's dive into that a little bit then, Anya. Um, it's it's doubled since the beginning of this year. Um, where um, I guess where are you seeing that growth? Is it across is it across all sides? Um, who's um, who's in the process of trying to raise money, and how are they utilizing crowdfunding platforms in order to do it? Yeah, there are currently nine offerings live, at least. And okay. most of them are falling under the Reg CF category. That's where a majority of the activity has been. Define but, Reg, before we define Reg CF, since I think a lot of people are going to get lost in a little bit of our regulatory comments today, we'll kind of slow down from time to time and define stuff. So, what is Reg CF? Yeah, so Reg CF is a provision that allows any um, business to raise up to a million seventy in a one-year period. And it allows private companies to raise capital in a, alongside traditional methods of venture capitalists, those high-dollar investors, or bank loans. Okay. Um, so folks are raising through Reg CF in North Carolina at double the pace they were from 2019. 
Yes. Um, at the beginning of 2020, there was about 1.6 million that had been raised under Reg CF. And okay. as of September, we're now up to 2.9 million. Okay. Um, so a very quick, um, a very quick move in that, on that side of the market. Um, how are, um, who's driving it? Is it founders that are coming to platform and dropping it on there and then pushing it out to the network or is it investors on the flip side that are just starving for something different? I would say that it's a little bit of both. We've seen a record number of offerings become listed on these platforms. And in addition, in the past four months in North Carolina alone, there have been 1,300 new investors on these platforms. And so we're seeing growth on both sides, honestly. Okay. Um, interesting. Um, so um, what types of companies, and we're going into that, and then I cut you off to define Reg CF. What types of companies are we seeing hop onto the platform? Is it only early stage technology companies that want to become the next Facebook um, or what type of entities are you seeing out there on the platforms? Yeah. Well, first of all, we've seen over 80 industries be successful with crowdfunding. And so the, the offerings that you can find on these platforms can range from those uh, first step um, new high growth tech companies to Main Street businesses, you can support the next brewery or coffee shop in your area. We're seeing healthy foods that are crowdfunding to get distribu distribution up. We're seeing consumer products, medical technology. There's a little bit of everything out there. So when you said earlier that you've got the ability really to buy local um, or shop local, invest local, it's not necessarily just the young startup that's trying to be the next unicorn. It really does boil, boil down to local companies that are being supported on the platforms. Yeah, and coffee shops and breweries and those Main Street businesses are really a great example of how you can turn your crowdfunding campaign into a marketing tactic because more people are becoming aware of the business and these investors who could potentially be a regular at one of these places, um, they can now become invested in these companies right in their backyard and go visit them while still receiving a financial return. Has, um, has, has anybody solved in this space the, um, the question I've always had, of how do you, how does an investor exit out of the local coffee shop in five years because they want to go um, invest in the next local brewery instead? Um, is that a solution that sits out there yet, or are we still waiting on that? No, I think uh, if you don't mind, Anya, I'll take that one because I've already started to see returns in my personal portfolio from that. So what's kind of neat about this world is that there's this notion that, like, what is investment crowdfunding? What is Reg CF? Like, what are you offering to investors? Mm -hmm. So often when we talk about the angel world or the VC world, we only think equity, you know, yeah. giving up a piece of the company. A lot of the Main Street businesses are choosing to take what's called a revenue share instrument, which means that they're linking the reward of the, or the potential reward, I think, as you mentioned earlier on, you know, the potential reward of the success of the business directly to their top line revenue. So if a company is projecting X and they say, hey, look, we're going to return for every thousand bucks you invest in us, we're going to return, you know, 50% on top of that. So 1500 over X period of time. Yeah. And the company, because it's crowd of investors, like Anya spoke about, ends up helping drive more revenue to the business, you know, double that. Mm -hmm. They effectively get paid back twice as quick. Okay. So there's, there's a world of new instruments out there that, um, can be used in conjunction with the traditional as raising capital, but can also be uh, used side by side with it to provide new options. Okay. Um, so almost, um, almost like a profit sharing, is it a limited profit sharing? Um, will, I mean, essentially, um, like a, you can set it up to be like a five-year profit sharing plan. And once that's done, it's paid back and we're going forward to the next opportunity. Is that how we'd look at it? it it's similar. Um, it's literally tied to top line revenue. So revenue okay. share, unlike a profit share, is actually tied to, hey, if I sold you know a million bucks this year, 
Um, and then, you know, it's paid off of a percentage of that million that's being sold on top line revenue, mm-hmm. whereas profit share is more of, well, we get down to the actual profit of the company and net income is producing, you know, what are we paying out of that? So revenue yeah. share is based on top line revenue and there's all sorts of cool articles that are out there about how those work. Okay. Um, no, that's interesting. We'll have to get a few of those articles for you to link in the podcast later on too, as well. Absolutely. Um, so is that, so you said that's where you're seeing a decent amount of the, um, um, growth in this space is through those types of offerings as well. It, it is. Cause I think, you know, I, I don't think this changes whether we're talking investment crowdfunding or traditional capital is that in a time like COVID or a time where there's, you know, economic downturn or perceived economic downturn, people often will chase after cash and mm-hmm. stuff that provides a, you know, a more uh, cash-based return. We've yeah. even seen that in some of the angel group discussions that we've had. Um, traditional groups that would just focus on the equity side, they're they're, you know, even the limited partners in those groups are asking for, you know, is there a way to provide more liquid returns along the way versus having to wait seven to ten years for some potential exit? Or and so. The balance of being able to invest in these instruments that may pay cash out along the way on a quarterly or yearly basis, you know, whatever the whatever the founder chooses, balanced with the opportunity to make ex- equity instruments is creating this whole new world that just simply didn't exist in mass before 2016. Yeah. No, it's been crazy. To, I mean, you know, what you and I started talking two years ago and the growth that the um, the crowdfunding space has taken over that time period has been astronomical and who, um, I guess the sky's the limit, so to speak for the next, um, the next you know, five or 10 years as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, hitting back on what you said there, Anya too, about the shop local invest local and the multiple industries. I mean, we're really getting to a point where we see the, the industry going is we're getting to a point where people may have a day where they can pull out their cell phone and with a click of a button, be invested and co-invested in, you know, private businesses across their entire community, you know, just like you do in the public stock market. But now we're doing it on a private localized level. And that world is occurring and emerging even more rapidly than we ever imagined it would be before. It's a, um, it's a crazy concept, and it's a concept that really didn't exist 10 years ago, right? You couldn't buy you – know, I'm from Newburn, North Carolina. You couldn't buy a slice of Newburn, North Carolina entrepreneurship if you wanted to, right? Um, so what – and one of the reasons that's always been there is, is there's always been a regulatory hurdle, right? Um, in order to be able to invest as, a, you know, as an early-stage investor in illiquid opportunities – um, you had to make um, what two hundred thousand dollars of income as an individual, or have a million dollar net worth, or three hundred thousand dollars on a joint tax return, or whatever. So, um, where are those regulatory hurdles now, and where are they where are they moving to? Where's the where's the puck going to be in five years? Great, great question. I'm I'm sure some of your audience and Anya and I are following this closely have been following the SEC's changes of the accredited investor definition. The, the wealth status definition. And with the loosening of those laws, and what I mean by that is incorporating opportunities for people that are deemed educated and can make investment decisions in the private market space, it's providing access to companies that the, the common person didn't have access to before. But I think it's also interesting. I mean, like when Anya and I are looking at stats, and Anya, maybe you want to speak to this as well, is the majority of the dollars on average, even in the public offerings, these ones that are out there on um, across North Carolina, a, a large portion of those dollars are actually accredited investors. They just, most of them are new. They had no idea there was a, this status that defined them. So if we look at this pocket of um, wealth in our nation, that's basically 70% of the wealth is accredited investors. People match that definition. Um, 90, 95% of them don't even know they can invest in this way. They might be in the stock market. They might be in a 401k, but they had no idea they could diversify locally in their backyard. And it, it's interesting to see the, the mass participation from accredited investors that, that they don't care there's a definition in place to define their wealth. They, they care about investing in something that means a lot to them. 
So yeah. it's kind of neat to see that evolution in the marketplace. Anya, how do you untap that? Um, right. I mean, how does, how do y'all, you know, NC crowdfund or crowdfund NC, sorry. Um, how do you help people unlock that over the course of the next couple of years? Is it education? Is it knowledge? Is it just access? Is it, um, providing, uh, investors, the next Facebook, which isn't the answer. I know that. Um, but how do y'all help grow that over the course of the next, I mean, cause that's what you're trying to do, right? You're trying to grow the participation rate of everyday North Carolinians in a North Carolina based opportunity. Yeah. I'd say on crowdfund and side, we are just really psyched to have this opportunity because we do host, launch courses, which we really walk through, uh, founders through the nitty gritty of starting a raise process. And so that's one way that we really support the ecosystem is just providing that access and education to the founders so that we can get more offerings posted on these platforms. On the flip side, we spun out a partner venture called NC Grind, which is really investor centric. And it is the collaboration of anything, everything that anyone who loves North Carolina would want to know about. So we aggregate all of the offerings that are pertinent to North Carolina. So we are pointing people back to the platforms that are hosting these offerings. We provide news and updates about what is happening in North Carolina's investment space and then also just provide industry news as we're seeing this immense growth. So it's like an edu- um, uh, it's a educational platform for investors to learn more about what's going on with North Carolina-based opportunities, right? Yeah, exactly. And so investors can just have that access to centralized resources. And we also promote out partner efforts with syndicates and accelerators and networking events and demo days. So anything that a potential investor who loves North Carolina could want is going to be on ncgrind.com. Okay. How's the reception been as y'all? So as y'all start to build out that partner site where you're helping investors understand what's going on, documenting, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, how's the reception from you know folks in Asheville and Wilmington and Charlotte and um, other places across the state? Um, is it a great collaboration? Are you pulling teeth, or how's um, how's the process working? Yeah, I mean the whole concept too out of that will came from when we were traveling across the state pre-COVID. People uh, in the Charlotte ecosystem, Wilmington, Asheville, all those places were saying. Hey, look, you're telling us about this great thing called investment crowdfunding, people's ability to participate, but where's all the opportunity? So like Anya came onto the team and Anya took the reins by then and said, hey, let's work with our partners. And essentially within less than a month, we had a centralized site up and running for people to find out opportunity from that. And Anya, I mean, you're a first time investor as of recently. It might be interesting to talk from that perspective as well from like the education that it provides to people that are brand new and their opportunities to learn from others. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just, I graduated from Meredith college in 2020. So I'm pretty new to the whole investing scene. Like Will mentioned, I joined the team back in May and I was finding that some of this information is difficult to find. And despite my years in business school, I didn't know that there was this method And so we just really want to make it easy, plain, and simple for even for anyone to understand because coming out of college and I was looking to build up my assets for my future, I thought that my only option was really to invest in the stock market and to find out that there was this way that I could not only invest and receive a potential financial return, but that I could also help the small businesses in my community just seemed like an awesome opportunity. Anya, where where are you from? I'm from Raleigh. You're from Raleigh. So you you tell um, mom and dad that your your first investment is in a local business through a crowdfunding platform that you happen to work with. Um, Easy conversation or difficult conversation? And how soon afterwards are they going to join you in that endeavor? 
<laughs> well, I would say at the beginning, they were just about as confused as I was. <laughs> and over the past couple of months, I've been able from great teachers like Will and other people who are in the crowdfunding space have really just taught me a lot and helped me break it down to the basics. And we're really at the point where we think that we can clearly dictate that out to people who have never even invested before. Yeah. And Willie, you're going to get us in trouble here with investment advice. You make it look like we're trying to make people invest based on that question. <laughs> but, no, I mean, the, the, the whole point of the site was that, you know, there's this movement underfoot and it really is just educating people about, you know, here's what exists out there and here's access to it if you want to participate. You know, yeah. we're not NC grind, crowdfunding NC. We're never forcing anybody to invest or saying, hey, you should invest in this. But we think it's kind of cool that we live in a world now where people have the opportunity to. Because like you said, Anya, the same thing with my parents too. Um, when my dad and mom, like when my dad was still alive and they were supporting me getting started up in crowdfunding C, you know, they're asking like, what is this world? Because there's this generational trend and the scary word called investing. And, you know, if you look at my seven-year-old now, who's almost eight, you know, I'll pull him up next to the computer, pull up something on NC Grind or a founder we're looking at. And I know because of his background at seven, like his, his proclivity as a child, I can pull up something and even he understands it. Yeah. You know, I ask him questions like, what do you think about that? Why would you invest in something like that? And the perception of a child in this industry is really unique. So there are founders that I'm hoping my child will get to meet one day because it may be an industry he would have gone into that he never would have learned in school. Yeah. But simply because his father and mother pulls him up to a computer and says, hey, here's the founders we're co-investing in and they're in our backyard. And oh, by the way, you can learn about you know, how things are made, you know, his favorite show is like outdoor boys on YouTube, how stuff's being made. Like this world is perfect for him because it, it removes the transactional base of investing and drives it back to the fundamentals of how do you produce a product or service that's innovated or needed in the community that can generate more money than it costs to produce. Yeah. And people will buy it because they value it. So like even at a super young age, now we can drive that to our children or at least that's what I'm doing. So I, I find that world fun. Yeah. yeah so, and I would even say that crowdfunding may not be for everyone. Like yeah. it's worked great Perfect. for companies across 80 plus industries, but it's just one of many methods of raising capital. Stats show that it has primarily benefited um, women and founders of color because they may have had barriers to entry of receiving money from venture capitalists or banks. And so it's awesome that there is an opportunity alongside all of these traditional methods that people are used to. And on the investing side, the stock market is always going to be there. And this is just another way, and it has its pros and cons. Like one main difference between the stock market is that you're typically investing and then holding. You may be sitting on that for eight years until the company has an exit or an acquisition. And so it's not as instant as the stock market. It's just another option for people to support locally. Yeah. Yeah. Will, can we, Anya, can we redo that um, piece right there? I really liked what you said, but I think you introed with this is, this is the stock market works this way. And I think you meant the private market or did I mishear that? Or I was trying to say that it, the stock market works differently. Yeah, I heard that. W- William, did, what, did she say the private market works this way, or did she say the stock market is where you buy and hold? Um, it, uh, I can see where you com- were confused on, I think the language that she used made it um, not quite clear, but I was picking up on her saying that the illiquid okay. market worked that way. Cool. As long as you heard it clearly, yeah. then I'm good. I was just making sure. Keep yeah. going, on. Sorry. So, no, you're good. So, um, so no, I mean, it's interesting, um, right, Anya? I mean, it's a, um, um, it is a longer-term play than what we've seen, specifically over the course of the last six months, where um, it seems like day trading has taken over the equity markets, and this is a longer-term platform um, where you're not able to just jump in and out. You're kind of forced to make a longer-term decision. Um 
to um to circle back to you know something you said in that um in that space though and i didn't i hadn't really put two and two together where it's um it's a more diversified group of folks that you're investing in right and i hadn't really and it an easier opportunity for women and and people of color to raise money through this channel um so it's to a certain extent it's equalizing the game yeah, we would definitely say that it's equalizing the playing field. And we're seeing that with these regulations passing in the first place, because you can only invest based on wealth status for since the 1930s. And so now the everyday person has the opportunity to invest in these local ventures, which levels the playing field from an investing standpoint. And then it also just provides another avenue for founders to raise capital in a way that wasn't available before, but is opening a lot of new doors from founders of every gender, color, and background. Yeah, and I mean, adding to that too, I mean, some of the stats that just blow Anya and I away when we're looking at them is beyond the diversity of like founders that make our great teams, is the the diversity of like the levels of businesses they're raising. So, I mean, the fastest reg cf raise that raise that Anya was talking about where any business can raise up to million seventy thousand finished in nine hours to date that's been the fastest raise million bucks nine hours probably took them a month and a half two months to prep um the largest raise to date that took i think just under a year was 24.8 million <laughs> and the investment minimums were 200 bucks they were back, you know, Mr. Wonderful and a bunch of other people are also supporting that company. But it just goes to show that, I mean, everything from like early pre-seed stage capital through series A capital, the SEC is looking at raising limits, you know, from on these larger offerings that are called Reg A Plus, where you can raise up to 50 million. Yeah. There, I mean, it's the timer's just ticking for when that's going to be at 75 million as a max. And yeah. so there's all these new avenues that companies have to raise capital in this way. And to Anya's point, it, it may be a good option. It may be a not ideal option, or it may be where you're combining that option with other options as well. But we live in that world now. And it's, that's why I say, like, we're getting to a place where people will be able to pull out their cell phone, click a button, and be co-invested with everything in their community. It's pretty cool. Um. um and it's, I mean, I think that's phenomenally interesting. And I think it's highly important to see it go in that direction for a lot of different reasons, right? And um, the things we just talked about, being able to invest local, you understand local. North Carolina is a growing state. Um, we understand we want to support a lot of times. Um, um, we want to invest in things that we can see the impact with. So we see it all locally. Um, but as you're going through that, company that raised uh, $24 million um, on the platform. The first thing that, that popped in my mind, I can't remember the, uh, the name of the, the company. What was the biotech um, company um, uh, with the female founder that ended up defrauding professional investors? What was the name of that? Um, oh, um, oh, gosh, I forget her name too, but the, the, the big bio. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, um, yeah, there, there's been a lot of in this industry. Which is yeah. crazy like in this world. <laughs> How um, you know, she defrauded professional investors, right? Yeah. Um, and so you know, the concern from the regulator perspective is if she defrauded inve- regular investors, how do we protect? the or uh, professional investors how do we protect the regular investor in the space and the fact of the matter is is you still can't even protect them in the public market space i understand that right i mean yeah. um you've got nicola which is under its own fraud investigations you've got um you know a host of different companies that cheat people out of money every single year on the new york stock exchange but the concern is always going to exist if it's private um you know there's more there's more subject to fraud right so how do y'all how do how does the industry protect um, protect it so that it doesn't get a bad name? Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, from what I've seen, being an investor both in stock market companies and the private market space, which is like five or six times bigger, is that I think it's a combination of transparency and philosophy. So let's think about it. from a public stock market perspective, these are bigger companies. You know, they've got greater revenue. You're very disconnected from them. You know, they're, they're basically, they've exited and the early stage investors have got the money out and you may or may not know what's going on in their reports. 
when we're talking about the private market space, the transparency is somebody's pulling up a page, like either on their cell phone or a PC, and it's telling you things like, why you may consider investing in us. There's background checks performed on the team. The teams are often small. They're first and second degree connections from most of their investors that are investing in them. That, that's probably the most interesting stat is that most of the investors in this space for those companies are first and second degree connections, like most of the rounds filled from that. Yeah. So transparency-wise, you're seeing everything about the company and considering like emotionally, is this something that I want to bring to market? Uh, rationally, is there potential for return because they have to do some you know, disclosure of some financials and where they're headed and like why they might be able to generate revenue, why, you know, backing that, you know, they don't have to give away a secret sauce, but there's some rationale. People can ask questions and answers of the founder right there. And hey, if there's something bad about the founder that wasn't uncovered in all those checks, guess what? Now it's publicly available. If anybody's got a question, they can raise a flag. And that's happened before. There have yeah. been campaigns that have been shut down because of um, potential fraud. And that's why there's been zero fraud to date. On the philosophical side, again, 80%, 90% of the investors are typically first and second degree connections. You're raising on friendly terms. Your investors are people that know you. Are you, are you really gonna screw somebody that knows you? You may, but it may make you think twice. When we're in the public stock market, like it's completely, in a lot of cases, removed from like the, the connection between a business owner and the person who's investing in it. You know, yeah. it's more about making a gain and it's more transactional. In this world, it's more relational. You want the you want the return. Yeah. You, know, you want that type of return, but it's more about what are we building together? And so I think it, it's just a different world because of that. That's at least my perception. I mean, Anya, based on your exposure to the market, what what have you seen? Would you answer that similar or different? I would definitely answer it similar. Um in a time of COVID, when everyone's just being hit so hard, especially these small businesses, it's more important than ever to be able to come together and build in your community. And yeah, the community-centric focus of crowdfunding is really what I, why I think it has been thrust into the mainstream as of late. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. And um, so what I picked up on is not only is it crowdfunding, it's also crowd due diligence, yeah. um, right? So you, as a result of more people peeking at it, you get um, you get a nice diversification of folks that are going to poke around and maybe not say such good things about it. Um, I it think. Happens. I think even I think even in that world, there's always going to be the Bernie Madoff, the Rick Siskis um, here in Charlotte, or whoever they are, right? I mean, and to your point, they're going to ex- um, or Elizabeth Holmes with Theranos was the person we were trying to talk about. Will mm-hmm. um, yep. the um, all of those um, all of those folks are going to exist, and they're going to exist up and down the supply chain, whether it's private small companies or whether it's large corporate um, Fortune 500 companies, um, yeah. Yeah. and the essence or the public market has a way to due diligence those folks and the private market is going to develop that through its, I'll call it um, uh, crowd due diligence from here on out. So uh, and it's a really interesting concept. Yeah. And I think kind of related to it too, and going back to what you were saying about launch earlier on is that one thing that we found, because we've now got what, eight years of data since AngelList launched, you know, kicked off the Jobs Act. Um, 2015 was when the first time the, the, the non-accred perceived, but really the general public was able to invest in mass in these private market securities. We have data points now that are showing that, you know, an investment crowdfunding raise, at least if it's public facing, is a large part um, marketing. And so the, the fear that I had when I got into the world as crowdfunding C was that, wow, we, we exist in a world now where a founder can go out there if they've got some traction and they have a good marketing approach, they can raise a million bucks often in two to three months or more. I mean, there have been campaigns that pair it with the traditional offerings and they end up raising two, three, four million bucks, you know. And that world was scary because some of the companies, at least from my perception, I thought they may not be such great companies. <laughs> yeah. That was just my perception, but I saw the world where marketing could do that. And so like crowdfunding, see that launch program Anya was talking about, a large part of what we're doing there 
is it's, it, it's focusing the entrepreneur back on the fundamentals of building a great company. Like what does it take to build a company that can sell a product or service for more than it costs? And why do people want it? You know, and so some of the tactics that are used there to go to find, okay, well, you're saying you want to raise capital or you need capital. It may be off of revenue. What's your best path? What do people think about it? What, you know, where do you fit in the marketplace? And so we're driving a large part back to the fundamentals of building good businesses and really questioning founders on that and putting them through the ringer before they ever decide, hey, am I going to go out and raise capital? Because again, it's their decision. Yeah. But we, we're finding we like that approach because we'd rather see if the community is going to invest, we'd like to see a world and process. And it's not just us, it's a bunch of people together. We'd like to see a world where, you know, 80, 90% of businesses are successful before they, you know, the ones that go out and raise capital, 80, 90% of those are successful and being a good business and staying in business. And all the other ones get weeded out because they find the process of building a venture is too difficult. Yeah. And that, that separates the people that are called to be entrepreneurs. And that's where they're supposed to be in society versus people that find it as a hobby. So, you know, some people may say that's called betting. Some people may say that's called due diligence. Um, It's just the process and the philosophy that we've gone by because we want to be co-building with people that are really obsessed around bringing products and services. And many of them will probably fail, but it's about the people that are called to try to build that and are leveraging these new mechanisms to try to help them do it. No, you're right. Um, So entrepreneurship has you know been well documented to be on the on the decline and if this is a mecha or um, over the course of the last 30 years and this is a mechanism to help reboost that um, entrepreneurship over the course of the next 30 years um it's a um it will be a great platform i think it'll be a great platform anyways but um, i'm all for anything that builds entrepreneurship in our community and especially in the great state of north carolina yeah. And that's, that's how I feel too, man. Uh, like my investing, like put my investor hat on separate from crowdfunding C I'm industry agnostic. I love the distiller in the backyard, the brewery, the main street company to the artificial pancreas company that, you know, could potentially save people's lives yep. to the tech company that's in our backyard, like the next red hats of the world, you know, cause they're bringing something of value. I, I don't really care industry wise what it is as long as they're uber focused on building something that has an impact on future generations that our society needs, there's return or there's potential return in that, but that's, that's just my investor persona. Yeah. No, I mean, um, and it's, you know, there's, um, you're looking to make an impact in your community and you're doing it with your local dollars. And, um, you know, some of them are going to be successful, um, and some of them won't. And, um, that's the way that it's, it's going to work out. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned earlier, um, new accreditation rules, um, that have come out over the course of, I I guess, realistically this year and probably a little bit over the course of the last couple of years. Um, so what is the new accredited investor rule? Yeah, the, the new accredited investor rules that they just rolled out, they added some qualifications for people that have certain certifications, Um, but they've also added some qualifications for people that may have a certain education level. Okay. Two in particular, the interesting one is called a series 65, which is a license and there's a couple in there, but you can take a series 65 without being registered with one of the FINRA bodies, you know, going through a bunch of, uh, um, work to get there. It's more based on education, your knowledge mm-hmm. of it. It's an intensive test, but people can take it, you know, it costs a couple hundred bucks to study and take it. And therefore they're considered accredited once those rules are in place. So that's kind of cool. But there's also the, the other one that we're still checking with attorneys. And I think many of the platforms and other people are too, is that there's a lot of people that are knowledgeable out there that can help funds out there vet deals and one of, the, one of the rules of accreditation now was, hey, if you're a knowledgeable employee, quote unquote, of a fund, then you may be deemed to be an accredited investor, even if you don't made the wealth status. So we're looking at the world of saying, hey, look, we've got all these great venture builders out there. We've had people that have traditionally not been able to participate in the investing process, but they've been super successful at building ventures or they understand the process. They just don't meet wealth status. 
Does that mean that if somebody is out there working for a fund or working for like a, a deal by deal syndicate where people are grouping dollars around a single company, does that mean if somebody does vetting for that company, they're now accredited and now they've got access to like co-invest with the, the major syndicates out there and the, the world that's created the most like Uber-like exits possibly? Yeah. You know, it's to be determined, but it's interesting that the world is moving that rapidly because that definition hasn't changed in 40 years, maybe 50 years. And it, it, this is opening up a whole new world of possibilities that are out there that just, again, did not exist even before we had, you know, cell phones. Yeah. So that rule or those rules apply to accredited investors. That still doesn't... Um, the door still is wide open for crowdfunding non-accredited investors to walk through somebody like Anya that just graduates from a wonderful school like Meredith and comes out and makes her first investment through a crowdfunding platform. She's able to do it as a non-accredited investor, just in a limited capacity. Correct. The minimums are accessible for everyone, no matter if that's a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars. And that's one thing that's just really awesome is that, anyone can invest whatever they feel is appropriate given their circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And you know, the, the ability for people to get access to deal flow that people weren't able to before because they're educated enough and they're Americans and they say, Hey, look, I can make that financial risk. I have the choice to do that now. Whereas before people are telling me, cause I'm not wealthy. I don't have enough education or knowledge to figure out what makes a good business. Yeah. I think it's nice to see that barrier kind of be broken down because I've spoken with fund managers that aren't accredited. Yeah. They can't participate in the deals they're offering to the the people they're investing in. Like, how does that make sense? Yeah. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. So like we're breaking down those walls. I think it makes a lot of sense to break down those walls because that's where the majority of the wealth has been generated in the country. If we want to talk about wealth divide and disparity and on you, you hit the head on the nail with the, the diversity piece there too. I mean, combined with the accredited investor definition and the public investment markets with this crowdfunding space, it's breaking down all the barriers that people viewed were the guidelines for how to raise private market capital. And it's completely flipping the industry on its head to a point where every uh, later stage VCs are sidestepping their VC and putting early dollars in reg CF campaigns. We, We know that. We've seen that. We've spoken with people in the industry that have seen VCs doing that. And one reason they're doing that is because a VC has to have a certain risk profile, reward profile. And so what we have heard, and this is secondary knowledge, but why would a Mr. Wonderful, Robert Herchevac, Neil Patel, you know, all these big names out there, why are they actively encouraging the public markets? One part of it may be, well, one, having a broader investor base can help reduce risk in the investment opportunity. We have data points around that, too. And then the second part may be, well, it's early influence. If you're going to act in a capacity to help a company early on, when you're going for a ladder round and you're targeting a large fund and that VC that sidestepped their VC invested early on, well, guess what? They've got a direct intro to help you out. And guess what? They've already helped you out. They vetted you all along the way. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of logical sense in that approach too, but it's new. So it'll take a little while to catch on, but people are doing it today. We know they are. So it's interesting. Yeah. So, Will, you mentioned, um, you know, in that conversation around accredited investors, um, you mentioned um, syndicates. Yeah. Um, and it's something that we talked a little bit about in our last podcast interview together um, and just wanted to dive more into these days because I think it's it's grown since we last talked about it. Yep. Um, and its influence is probably continuing to grow and will continue to grow over these course in the next couple of years. So talk a little bit about syndicates and what they are and how they've developed and um, how people to um, how people are utilizing them. Yeah. So syndicates, online syndicates, at least kicked off in 2012, the, the commercial real estate industry has been using them for years, but essentially a syndicate allows accredited investors to be grouped together, up to 249 of them, and pull money together to invest on a deal-by-deal basis in a company. So let's say a company is raising 
you know, 500K to 2 million. And the syndicate says, hey, look, um, my group of people can fill 500K of that $2 million round. And so we'll present that opportunity out to our investors and the minimum may be a thousand bucks or 2000 bucks. And we're going to aggregate that by up to 249 people. Um, the, the, I won't go into the financials of how that model works, but basically the people that kicked it off said, Hey, look, SEC, you know, Security Exchange Commission, if we don't collect commissions on that raise and we just collect, you know, our profit for running that syndicate is based on the success of the business is that kosher with the law? And the SEC said, yeah, if you just take a percentage of the return on investment, if that 500K you know, investment, a company that's valued at 5 million, you know, then grows to you know, 50 million, so it's 10X, then yeah, you can share in a portion of that return of that you know, 10X return that all the investors are sharing in because you're, you're getting on the back end, you're getting it from the success of the business. So really successful investors in that world and some of the most successful angels in the world have used that model and used kind of a crowdfunding approach. I mean, let's think about it. It's 249 investors, right? That's a, that's a crowd. Yeah. And so they're using that crowd and successful syndicate managers, what they do is they make ask to that crowd. The same thing we train founders with and launch. Hey, if you're going to go seek a crowd of people or even a small crowd of people for investor, how are you leveraging that investor's network to help your business grow? So syndicate just kind of formalizes that process and has a lead and the lead says, Hey, look, business needs ABC. If you got ABC, can you help the business out? And so that birthed the syndication movement that now has most of the top tier VC deals in the U S are using those methods. Uh, You can go on well-known platforms and see companies you'd recognize that have leveraged them pretty much every tech company that has been in the news recently has been through a syndicated offering. Um, Just traditionally, the only people allowed to participate were accredited investors. And that's kind of the wall that we're seeing being torn down right now, is now more and more people can participate. So we see syndicated communities that can participate in those types of offerings. And I think the, the delineation will become gray pretty soon. So are those syndicates allow, are those syndicates run on crowdfunding C as well, or they run on crowdfunding platforms? We help people that want to implement syndicates. That's part of what we do. So we work with partners that say, hey, look, we're we're strongly focused in this region, or we're strongly focused in like a particular area like Web 3.0 tech. And we'd like to have a landing spot for people that may be interested in future deals coming in to just be available and ready to take a look at a deal when it comes through and choose whether they want to invest or let's say they're a non-accredited person or accredited and they can help vet the deal. Well, now you're part of a community that's helping vet a deal that may be offered up to that syndicate to invest in because they go through a vetting process too. You know, there may be 50 deals that are sent to a syndicate and, you know, syndicate community accepts, you know, two or three of them. (laughs) Because they're like, here's the two or three that may be of interest to our community or whatever the reason may be. But there's a vetting process that occurs and, you know, non-accreds can participate in that today and receive a portion of that return on investment if they participate. So even now it opens up a whole new world of possibilities for people that want to participate in that world. Is that a world that grew out of San Francisco and is making its way across the country or... um... You know, what's funny about syndication and that online world is it, it grew out of a couple of communities. I actually learned that Chapel Hill and some of the people out of Chapel Hill were some of the original uh, people that helped start Angel League. Okay. Interesting. And so, I mean, that's, that's what the people there told me, and they told me names of the people that participated, and sure enough, they're there. So, and so who knew, Will? Something good came out of Chapel Hill. I didn't realize that. <laughs> As a a couple of old NC State guys, I can say that out loud, right? Well, my my wife's dad went to Chapel Hill. As long as it's not sports, like we're friendly. Um, But no, I mean, there's a lot of cool collaboration between all the universities. But yeah, I mean, that aside, it's kind of interesting that the the movement took off in Chapel Hill, but a huge undergirding of the industry, syndication, reg CF, interstate offerings where you're offering it just to people there in North Carolina, not, not reg CF where you can offer it to anybody federally. Um, a lot of that stuff started right here in North Carolina. It just takes our community longer to adopt it for some reason. I, I can't ever figure it out, but you know, maybe it's the gold rush mentality versus 
the banking mentality. I don't know, but we could probably have a whole session on that. But but the cool part is is that now it has made its way back to the side of the country. More and more people are participating, um, and people, you know, founders, for a large part, from what our optics, they really don't have, care how they get money in the door. They care that the money being provided is provided by people that care about growing the business and that they can maximize or I would say make more efficient the way they get capital in the door. So we've got cap, we've got founders that we work with where they've told us their plan is we're going to capital stack with bank loans, private traditional funding and public funding, you know, on the newer mechanisms. Fantastic. You can do that today. Great. Go after it. And then we pair them with our, you know, broker dealer, they pair with a portal to make sure they're doing it properly. So, I mean, there, that, that world exists today. And because more and more founders were asking us, Hey, that, you know, this world's kind of confusing. Can you help us through? Like I just went through a process to become what's called a registered rep of one of our partner um, broker dealer platforms called local stake. Mm-hmm. The reason I did that is because founders said, Hey, look, if we proceed on to doing a capital raise, I need somebody to help me structure the deal. I need somebody to talk through the mechanics of it. Can we have somebody there locally that's like obsessed about our business to also look at it from what only a broker dealer is licensed to do? Yeah. So for founders that go that path, yeah, now like me as Will McGuire, separate from crowdfunding C, you know, completely separate from that, completely separate from my investor activities can help that business through the process. And, And that's, that's my calling. Like, you know, Anya and I talk about calling a lot with our founders, but that that's the world where I like to sit. Yeah. No, it's, um, I, and you can, you clearly pick up on it, right? I mean, you can hear it in your voice. Anytime I talk to you about startups and investing, that's definitely your calling. Um, and I mean, that leads me to the question, Will, um, and I just specifically you as well, y'all know this stuff, right? I mean, you're in it on a daily basis. You know about these different platforms. You know about these alternative things that exist. Um, but a lot of people don't. I guess maybe more people do now because they've been sitting at home playing solitaire by themselves or whatever. Um, but um, you know, how does you know how does somebody get started, right? I mean, how I mean, how does the ground swell happen? I mean, y'all have moved mountains to get to this point, um, but you're not done moving mountains, right? You need the um, you need the flow to come in behind you. You need the floodgates to open. So how do how does the next um, has the next big break work in y'all's world? Anya, you want to say that one? Yeah. Um, as someone who had to rapidly learn a lot of this information, um, I would say that there were two things that were more valuable than anything. And that was just talking with Will and other people who are knowledgeable in the area was being able to make those connections and see people who are already in the process really helped me as I took the plunge and made my first investment. In addition, there are a lot of great resources online like Crowdwise and Angels and Investors and even on the different funding portals and broker-dealer platforms, their FAQ sections are more valuable than gold. So I would say that there's definitely an information gap, but I took the bull by the horns and I wanted to learn as much as possible before I made my first investment. Do y'all do webinars on for like new investors? I know y'all help the new founders so much, but do y'all do like big group, 100, 200 um, Zooms that everybody hates sitting on these days? Or um, how do you educate people live? And we'll used to do some of this in events too, right? It's, yeah. That stuff's kind of frozen for the time being. You know, before, before I had joined our team, but truly I knew you've been the one that's accelerated this is that, you know, we spent last year just trying to figure out how this model works yeah. in North Carolina. And it doesn't work like the rest of the country. We're different. We're Southern, you know, it's different here. So we pivoted our whole model in January to provide those educational opportunities only through partners. We only work through founders that come through partners or referrals because everybody wants to build together. That's how we do it in relationship in North Carolina. So like when Anya came on the team, like immediately we went into, okay, our partners in Mountain BizWorks. 
how do we work with that partner to provide an educational series about, you know, here's a founder who's raised capital before, here's a funding group, have them on a happy hour talking together about, you know, this world and educating people that have never been in it. And, you know, I wouldn't say there are 100, 200 person uh, groups that sign up, but uh, we've had people, you know, what was our last one? I mean, like 16 to 18 people. We had about, yeah, 16 to 18 people. And so we really host these events for those newer investors to learn and to meet people already in the ecosystem. We typically do those probably once every two months, and we're hoping to increase the frequency. But our next one is scheduled for November 5th. We'll do a little happy hour where you can network and learn more about crowdfunding and how to get started. Will that be a live event or will we? are we still going to be online given the um, um, the state that we're in currently? It will be a Zoom event as of now. Okay. With the hope to switch to live events, I would assume in 2021? That's the hope. Of course, we're going to be following Governor Cooper's restrictions and recommendations. So yeah. we want everyone to be comfortable before we do return to in-person events. Yeah. How's the, um, I mean, you mentioned, um, you mentioned Mountain BizWorks. Um, how are those partner organizations across the state doing? They're, they're doing really well. I mean, they're in the grind with the founders helping, you know, Mountain BizWorks works with a lot of small businesses, but they also work with a lot of potential franchise operations. And, you know, I call it miniature private equity, meaning there's a real estate component plus a business on top. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what's kind of neat about Mountain BizWorks is they took the bull by the horns before probably anybody in North Carolina a couple of years ago and said, hey, why don't we train founders on this new world of capital stacking combined with the new, you know, Reg CF and other stuff that's out there. And, you know, they've invited us in to help co-facilitate some of those sessions to teach founders what's out there and educate them about this world that exists. And that's been kind of nice to participate in that community because, you know, before COVID, you go to Western North Carolina, you get hugged. <laughs> I mean, that's just the community. You go there now, people are like, ah, but, but that, that sense of community of, hey, we can build something really cool together. And a lot of stuff's really innovative coming out of there. There's a lot of tech coming out of Asheville and Western North Carolina too. Um, the world of possibilities now, I think with COVID or that you can be a founder that was traditionally in a Wilmington, but now you're working remote from Asheville, you know, with a whole different founder community because we're in COVID, you can work from anywhere. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. It's, uh, I don't know. I'm just rambling now. Will. <laughs> <laughs> you're good, man. Hey, we've got a couple more minutes. Um, the activity level that y'all have seen since, since COVID, right? I mean, um, now y'all in Raleigh is, you know, uh, I would argue it's a more, um, developed startup scene than Charlotte. Um, I've talked to a number of people over the course of the last couple months, um, that have moved here from different places, right? New York, California, um, even Texas for whatever reason. Um, what's the activity level across the state, right? Um, and I guess more specifically Raleigh, how's the, how's the activity level? Are we seeing that uptick or no? In the investment markets are just as founders coming founders, founders to assist. yeah i'm curious about entrepreneurship coming right i've long argued that north carolina and i've, I've argued it specifically that charlotte was more uh more prompt to win coming out of the next recession because the the um the entrepreneurship community was established enough here by that next recession that as people got laid off we'd see them fall into entrepreneurship um, so are we seeing that entrepreneur, are we, are you seeing the curiosity about entrepreneurship yet on y'all's end or, or has it not come across the table yet? I think tremendously. I mean, we have actively seen people being forced into entrepreneurship and, you know, you'll see articles from American underground who, you know, it's one of the local, um, co-working spaces and, uh, mainly Durham, but also Raleigh that opened up doors and actually offered money to help people that were in corporate or in jobs become entrepreneurs and test if that was something they were supposed to do. Um, there's other people that write in articles about that specific topic. Hey, recession and people losing their jobs is oftentimes when they dive into entrepreneurship. So I know at least from the articles I'm reading and people I'm interacting with, entrepreneurs on an uptick 
um, across not only Raleigh, but the entire state. I mean, Charlotte's done a phenomenal job of creating a more co-connected community. And that extends to places like the Triad and Raleigh. I mean, all across the board, it's hard to single one. I call them regional silos across, you know, regional builder ecosystems across our state. Cause I'm just seeing an uptick across all of them. Yeah. So then that plays, you know, if you look at it from our perspective, I think it plays right into your hands um, over the course of the next, you know, one to three years, because you start a business, you get up and running, you need your business plan, you need to validate. Um, and then, you know, you turn to look for ways to grow it. And one way to grow it is additional money, right? So people that are interested in the crowdfunding and syndication space need to get, I don't say need to get, but it benefits them to learn more about it now because in 12 to 24 months, there's going to be a lot more activity on that space that y'all host. Yeah. I think the data points are already, you know, showing that too. I mean, what's kind of interesting is there's been over 700 million raised on the public side now since 2016, I think. And, you know, all those ecosystems started off again, back to the first and second degree connections yeah. So somebody's left corporate or they got thrown out of their job and they start a business and they're surrounded by experienced entrepreneurs and all the great resources we have across the state. The, the additional resource they have now is that those people they used to work with, the, the new people they're meeting are all potentially investors for them. Yeah. And to your point, Anya, the limits can be accessible for whatever they deem may be accessible for their crowd. And then they just need to know the mechanics of what are the downstream considerations that I need to know about if I'm taking public money versus accredited. And all that information is concierge straight to the founders now. Um, It's very easy to train founders up in that very, very rapidly. So yeah, I would, I would agree with you fully is that COVID is helping rebuild not only entrepreneurship in America, but kind of the fundamentals that I was going back to with my children and, you know, other people's children, we're, we're teaching our children how to not just be, you know, accept the path of the way they're on now. They can go out and explore instead of mom and dad saying, you know, they're asking, why can't we do that? And, you know, I'm, I'm bad about this uh, because I said so, you know, or, yeah. or we're just, you know, you're tired at the end of the day as a parent. Yeah. Now like there's this world that I can connect with my child in a way I've never been able to before against their proclivity and say, you're right. Why, why can't we do that? Let, let's go out and explore it together. And the piece that's been added is now that I can co-invest, you know, <laughs> with my neighbors. That's, yeah. that's pretty cool to me. Yeah, it is. So hopefully it spurs people to realize that um, doing your own thing rather than following the corporate line um, is a good, is a good freedom mechanism as well right both personally and hopefully financially yeah i think people should have the 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 ability to explore those worlds and i think north carolina is prime that has enough resources in the community and access for people to be able to explore am i supposed to be an entrepreneur or should i go get a job you know it's not one's bad one's good it's more of where should people fit yeah where, where do they feel called and a lot of people that traditionally wouldn't have been entrepreneurs but actually have a knack for it didn't know they could be that because educational systems aren't tiered that way. Yeah. So, well, I think you are turning or helping turn it the other way. Um, I'm excited about, you know, what y'all are doing, you know, with, um, you know, crowdfund NC, uh, with NC grind. Well, we didn't even get a chance to talk about unbox studios. I guess that's just your play to try to get back on my podcast a third time. Um, so. <laughs> Anyways, it's probably just because I talk too much, William. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So, um, but no, I mean, I'm excited about what y'all are doing. I can't wait for things to open back up a little bit here um, across the you know state, so that you know we can see y'all down here and you know continue to you know promote the opportunities that come on y'all's platform and other platforms like it across North Carolina. So, thanks for all you're doing. Thanks for promoting the invest local theme. I think that's a, a hugely important thing over the course of the next decade. So, um, keep up the good work and thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much. It was, it's been lovely. So, um, and um, appreciate it. no, um, Anya, I'm glad I'm glad it's a, a Meredith degree on the wall. 
um, um, grade school, Raleigh rules, um, you know, the other places. Okay, too. Apparently, <laughs> some good things come out of that place as well. But Meredith um, is better than that little school down the road. Exactly. So, anyways, well, cool. Well, no, yeah, thanks, Anya. Um, I'm glad to see young people joining. You know, joining um, other young people like Will um, in this space. I think it's hugely helpful. So, keep up the good work on your end as well. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Portis Wealth Advisors. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Portis Wealth Advisors does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interest may be offered only to persons who qualified as accredited investors under applicable state and federal regulation or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interest. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in the market conditions and interest rates and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.